disciples that go to Emmaus. And I have no idea how you say that in English. But it's Emmaus in Spanish. You know the story, but I'm going to start reading in verse 17. So Jesus comes along, begins to walk with them, and he asks them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Do you hear the hopelessness that begins to come through? And verse 21. But we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We live in a world today where it's very easy to lose hope. Extremely common. It's sad. Whether it be the death of a loved one that you hoped would get better, get well, be healed. Or that job that you hoped you would get. Now, I know that unemployment in the United States is at a very low percentage rate, but let me tell you about my country. Unemployment, overall unemployment, is 13.9%. Youth unemployment, if you're 16 through 24, it's 33.7%. Quite a number of my friends, non-believing friends, 45, 50, 55, are hopeless. Because they go into job interviews and they go in knowing they are not going to get that job. And this has been going on now for 10 years. We live in a world where the evil one uses hopelessness to create graves. But my desire, Holy Spirit, is that you would work today. That there will be a number of graves that are left behind that they will be run out from. Or it may be a marriage or a relationship that you hoped would be renewed, restored, redeemed, flourish, and yet it didn't. So we're surrounded by these examples that rob us and that rob others of hope. There's a young man last summer when we did the camp camp, as Tom has said, that you've sent teams over since 2005 to help us with. I'm going to call him Mark. Mark was 16 years old when he came to camp. His father forced him. It's a camp for Latin American missionary kids whose parents are working either in Spain, in Europe, and now they're coming from all over the world. We'll only have 110 to 120. We don't want it massive because we want to work very specifically with them will always get young people who come because their parents have forced them to come. And I always will talk to them and say, just give me one day. Just give me one day with you. And after one day, then if you want to leave, then I'll take you to the bus stop. I'll pay your way home. 
So Mark came, and I later found out that Mark said, I can put up with anything for five days. What's Mark's story? Mark is the youngest of a family, three kids. His oldest sister, I'll call her Jackie, sweet, sweet girl, 25 years old. She was diagnosed a year and a half before with stomach cancer. And Mark prayed. Mark comes from a believing family. His parents are missionaries. And he trusted, and he prayed, and he asked. And Jackie got sicker and sicker, and they took her stomach out, but the cancer had extended. So at 25, we stood before a grave. And there was Mark. Death. There was no more life. And that's how he came to camp. Jackie had been his hero. She had been the one who opened. You know, it's like that that spear point that goes before. She was the one who always took him into these exciting things to do and and mischief and everything else. And now his hero had died. And he was left trying to reconcile a good God with the death of a precious, precious sister. Hope destroyed. I like this story. I like this story in Luke. I like this story in Luke because it's about hope renewed. Jesus comes along. And if you look at the timeline, if you study the resurrection day, between the time when in the morning very early Jesus is resurrected and the time that he then shares or walks into that room with his most intimate of friends, the disciples, there's a period of time that period of time is when Jesus goes to walk a dusty road to Emmaus with two unknown disciples who are walking towards hopelessness. So the first thing that I want to share with you this morning is that you and I believe in a seeking God. He's a God who seeks us. He's a God who will do anything to go after us. He's a God that puts on hold meeting with his best friends the day he's resurrected because there are two who are walking into hopelessness. And he's the one who said, I'll go for the one sheep who's lost and leave the 99. Are you here this morning with a tinge of hopelessness? Or are you here this morning, as we would say in Spanish, donde se ha anidado la desesperanza, where hopelessness has created a nest in your heart? If you are, There is a seeking God that is here this morning. One who was resurrected. Is it more difficult to bring hope to our hopelessness than it was to resurrect Jesus from the grave? No, it's not. 
the Holy Spirit that brought him alive. It's the Holy Spirit that we have been sensing, that we have been singing with. It's the same Holy Spirit who is here, who is seeking you. Begin to birth hope in your heart through his power. We have a God that seeks out the one lost. He prefers to be on the road to Emmaus with two instead of an upper room with however many there were at that time. If you would read this later, we're not going to read the verses, but if you contrast verse 21 with verses 33 and 34, that's what it's all about. Verse 21, but we hoped, we hoped he'd be the one. He died. Verse 33 and 34, it's true. It's true. And they run back to Jerusalem and they're shouting to the disciples. And I'm sure the disciples are going, you know, just calm down here. I mean, we're not out of this yet here. It's true. We've seen him. There's been hope renewed. That's what it's all about. How did Jesus renew their hope? First of all, he came near them. And we've sensed that this morning as the spirit of God has brought the person of Jesus close to us. Second, he spoke words of life. I would love, and this is one of the questions that I have when I get to heaven, and that is, you said that you taught them from A to Z. I'd like to hear what you taught them about Scripture, where every point of Scripture, where you, you are, you taught them about that. that. You know, just sit me down here for a few hours and tell me what you told them. He came near to them. He spoke words of life. Then it says he broke bread. He performed actions of renewal. And that's what he wants to do this morning. And there is somebody here. There is somebody here. You didn't make the grades this year in high school. And your future is hopeless. You had built upon wanting this the grades just aren't there. There's somebody here with a relationship that you had hoped would bring what your heart needs, and they haven't. And there's a grave that you're building, well, that you're building, that the evil one is building. And yet the Spirit of God is here. And he wants to speak words. Words of life, and he wants to Act in a way that will revive and renew hope in your heart. If he could do it then, he can do it again, can't he? And he did it with Mark. You remember Mark from camp? I think it was a night that Tom spoke. And after Tom spoke, then we had a time of ministry and Mark left. And you can't leave. You can't leave the the place. Uh, You know, it's pitch black out there and but he left. His counselor was supposed to be attuned to this, but he wasn't. He had a whole lot, a bunch of other kids that he was uh, dealing with. 
But we know and love a seeking God. And God knew that Mark had left. And so God spoke to one of my leaders by the name of Carlos. Carlos is a hell's angel. He's not really. But, But if you see him the first time from the back, he's bald, he's huge, he's square. And you're thinking, leave him alone. But when he turns around and he looks at you, he's a big teddy bear. He's got a whole bunch of hair on his body. He's got nothing on his head. That's the kind of guy. And God spoke to Carlos and said, go outside. Go outside. There's somebody outside. Now, when I get word of this, one of the guys, one of the other counselors says, you know that Mark is, is, is taken off. So I go outside. By the time I get outside, what do I see? Remember that passage, the Last Supper, where it says that the beloved one laid upon the chest of Jesus. John, here I see about 50 meters away from where we're meeting. There's this big teddy bear. He has his arms around a 16-year-old. 16-year-old has his head upon his chest. And he's silently sobbing. He's weeping. That's to rejoice for. Because Mark's heart is being turned from a heart of stone into a heart that can feel again. In this passage, they say, didn't our hearts burn? That's what it's all about. It's about a heart that has, because of hopelessness, has become or goes towards a heart of stone. But when Christ comes and Christ touches and gives words and Christ gives actions, then our heart begins to be turned into a heart of flesh. We begin to burn again. And in the case of Mark, it was soft weeping on the chest of a big, burly hell's angel, heaven's angel. You may be here having lost hope, but I want to emphasize that God has not forgotten you. He's not. He's working. He's even working right now with my words, and you're struggling. Do I believe this? Do I not believe this? He's working. He's working to resurrect his perfect plan for you, for your life, a plan that the evil one is wishing to kill and to destroy. He's working right now because Jeremiah says he knows the plans that he has for me, for you. They're plans to prosper. They're plans... Not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and to give you a future. At the end, we'll have the ministry team come. But I'm just giving you a heads up. Your name is being called. For hope renewed. And I don't care if it's one person. But there is somebody here. Who hopelessness is what describes you. But today is the day to let that grave go. Today is the day to let the Spirit of God 
begin a renewal of hope. Because he is a seeking God, he loves to resurrect things. Because he is a seeking God, he loves to resurrect things. And he did it in the life of Christ. He did it in my life. He can do it in your life as well. The second thing I want you to notice about this passage is that God brings hope through disruptive grace. God brings hope through disruptive grace. On the morning of his resurrection, Jesus disrupted everybody's plans. He disrupted the women's plans to prepare his body for proper burial. He disrupted the disciples' plans to lay low and let the storm pass. He disrupted the two disciples on the road to Emmaus' plans to isolate themselves and just disappear. This is for you, believer. God is a seeking God. That's very true. And he will use you as a believer. He will use me as a believer. To seek out the hopeless. But be prepared. To be disrupted. Be prepared. Back in 1999. Yeah I know a lot of you weren't born then. But you know. I went to Spain in 1980. 39 years ago. I know I don't look 103. But you know. 1999, we're very concerned. We've church planted our third church, and a lot of Latin Americans are coming because of the situation in Latin America. I was born and raised there. I'm attuned to them, so I'm, I'm, I'm caring for them. A lot of Latin American missionaries are coming without doing any cross-cultural work. They think Spain is just like Panama, where I'm from. Or, and uh, so they're dying on the tree after two years. We're putting people on the plane who are going back burned out. And so the Lord, I, I said, you know, we've got to do something. And we, uh, we, we came up with Operation Barnabas. And Brooke and Patty have been with us and helped with this retreat. Operation Barnabas is where we pay your way, if you're a Latin American missionary, to come into a four-star hotel for four days of rest, relaxation, and renewal. You have to show me your passport that you're Latin American. So if you are not Latin American, you can't come. Right? <laughs> Don't line up, don't beg, don't ask. If you're not Latimer, you can't come. Well, we're praying this through. We started in 2000. We're praying this through, 1999. I'm invited to a, um, a meeting of pastors in Madrid. And not just Madrid, but uh, other, other cities surrounding Madrid. So there's about 100 of us. And I'm sitting beside a guy that I don't know who he is. So the morning transpires and, you know, they're talking about whatever they're talking about. And all of a sudden, the Lord says says to me, turn to the guy next to you and look at him. So, now I'm very shy. I am not, you know, I'm not this, the life of the party and all that. I would rather just let somebody else be the life of the party. I'll just stand here on the side. I'm shy. So the Lord says, Tell him, it is for these that I'm calling you to start Operation Barnabas. 
Tell him that I know how he feels, that he feels dry and hopeless. But I am bringing cool water to soothe his thirst and renew his heart. Now you tell this to an evangelist and the guy will go berserk. Oh, yeah, well, he'll turn right there. Hey, let me tell you about God, you know. You tell it to me and it's like, there's a whole room of people here. I mean, couldn't we just do this somewhere else? Disruptive grace. Disruptive grace. I had a plan that I was just going to be in that meeting and bear through it. Because if you've ever been into pastor's meetings, you know that sometimes you just have to bear through the thing. And I don't want to talk to anybody. And I sure don't want to turn to somebody that I don't know and tell him that he's dry as a leaf and that God is going to move. Disruptive grace. Disruptive grace. So, we have a coffee break. And I pulled him back and I said, before you go to coffee break, I believe God is saying this to you. I know that you're as dry as a leaf in fall and that you have no hope. It's all gone. But God says that he's bringing cool water to soothe your thirst, to renew your heart, and to bring the ministry goals that you've envisioned. He's from Argentina. He erupts in weeping. This is not the soft weeping of Mark. This is the gut. I'm sure you know what it feels when you've worked for something and you do not see anything for that. This is the weeping of somebody who'd lost all hope. I mean, he's shouting. And I'm going, tierra trágame, which means, where's the hole that I can get into? <laughs> because everybody now is looking, Bill, what did you do? It doesn't matter who you are. See, God's redeeming power, God's renewing power is anchored in the fact that he is a seeking God. And this seeking will be manifested many times in disruptive grace. You plan to do this, but God disrupts your plan to use you to bring his grace to the hopeless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a PhD or you have a GD, GED. It doesn't matter. If you're a believer, God is on mission. And he says, I'd love for you to come with me. 
Because I'd like for us to bless that person. Would you be willing for me to disrupt your plans? Oh, yeah, we're willing. Yes, except when it's a meeting of 100 pastors. The two from Emmaus ran back to share the good news. They ran back. Their plans disrupted by grace. The hopeless had received hope and become the hopeful. And they run back to share hope with the hopeless. Now, how's that about coming full circle? It's true, he's alive. We saw it. Finally, disruptive grace requires obedience instead of logic. Yeah, that was an amen, wasn't it? Mm, Amen. Exactly. Exactly. There's a price. It requires obedience instead of logic. Now, I'm going to jump to Acts 8 because I love the story in Acts 8 about Philip. You know the story. Acts 6, you know, there's there's persecution. They're dispersed. and, And Philip goes to Samaria. And revival breaks out in Samaria. And so, man, this is fantastic. We've been working, you know, all these. And now all these people are coming to know the Lord. Well, what happens there is heard back in Jerusalem and the disciples, uh, Peter and John, they decide to come down to Samaria to see what's going on. And when they get down there, they pray for the people, lay hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So there's more revival even before. This is fantastic. And right when all this is happening, the guy who starts the revival, Philip, it says an angel of the Lord comes and says to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. It makes emphasis on the desert road. Go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, Lord, there's nobody on a desert road. There's revival. It's what we've been praying for. What we've been working for. There's nothing on a desert road. Go down to the desert road. Because disruptive grace requires that I obey, not that I understand. So he goes, and he sees a carriage, and the Spirit says, run up to the carriage, and he runs up to the carriage. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I understand if nobody explains it to me? Well, if you stop this carriage because I'm running out of breath, I'll hop up and tell you. So he does, and he's baptized, and the Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Ethiopia, Right? Say yes. Yes. Yeah. He goes back to Ethiopia. What is the rest of the story? That's why I love that passage. Because it exemplifies obedience instead of logic. There is a rest of the story. The rest of the story involves Roger Carr and an Ethiopian general. Roger Carr 
was my propulsions teacher at Laterno University. I got a degree from Asbury, then I went to aviation technology because I was going to fly with Wycliffe, the jungles of Latin America where I was born and raised. And I had a propulsion professor by the name of Roger Carr, a tremendous man, he's still alive, and a great evangelist. And he would do consulting work with NATO. And so in one of these times of consulting with NATO, he was taken over to Europe, spent 10 days, and beside him sat an Ethiopian general. I guess he was there to see what goes on with NATO because Ethiopia is not part of NATO. So as Roger Carr is, an evangelist, about two days in, you know, I've got enough confidence. So he turns to this guy and he says, so you're Ethiopia, um, are you Muslim or Christian? I'm going, Roger, the guy can kill you. I mean, he's a, you know. And the guy goes, oh, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Christ and my father gave his life to Christ and my grandfather gave his life to Christ. Now, Roger, smart guy, goes, He's just a cultural Christian. So the next question is, are you a real Christian or are you a cultural Christian? <laughs> I'm going, what? <laughs> and uh, and the, uh, the general goes, oh, no, sir. My heart, my loyalty is to Jesus Christ. My father's heart, my father's loyalty was to Jesus Christ. My grandfather's heart, my grandfather's loyalty, and it has cost us, is to Jesus Christ. My great-grandfather, and then by this time, Roger goes, and how did your great-grandfather and your family learn about Christ? And the CTO, sir, have you ever heard of a man by the name of Philip? Acts 8, Philip? Yes. You see, the Ethiopian eunuch was part of the king's court. He came back to the king's court. My great, 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 great grandfather was the cook for the king's And I owe my life with Jesus to Philip. Sometimes disruptive grace will require obedience and not logic. But you do not know the end of the story of your obedience. There is an Ethiopian general five, six, seven generations away that will be the beneficiary of your obedience and my obedience. So I end with this. First of all, I want to thank you all for many, many years now. Your prayer support, your financial support, your friendship. We consider Riverstone our home church. I'm a missionary kid. I was born and raised on the mission field. I don't have a home church in the United States. 
you're my home church. And your friendship, your finances, and your prayers have meant the life to us. You've stood beside us as we bring God's hope to desperate of teens and their families, missionaries, through the work that we do with transculture kids. You have been tangible evidence of God's seeking presence that has brought his hope to my family. And we thank you. Second, if you're a believer this morning, as a believer, you and I have God's seeking DNA cursing through our body. That seeking DNA to bring hope to others, but to do that will experience disruptive grace and it will require obedience. Now, an easy way to remember this is to say the following when you wake up every morning. God, if you want me to help extend your kingdom, if you want me to help you extend your kingdom today, let me know. I'm available. I'm willing. I'm going to say that again. And if you are willing to take that to heart, I want you to stand. Now, I don't expect everybody to stand. But if you're willing to resonate with that, to resonate with disruptive grace, to resonate with obedience instead of logic, to resonate to be part of God's mission, to be a blessing every morning. God, I don't know where you're working. God, if you want me to help you extend your kingdom today, I'm available. I'm willing. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now because I'm going to pray very, just briefly for you. And then I have one more thing for those of you who are desperate, hopeless. Jesus, you see the heart of your bride. It's very difficult for us, Lord. We've been trained. We've been trained to act on the basis of what we see in the physical. And Holy Spirit, it's difficult for us to know where you're working. But this is our promise to you, that we are open to your disruptive grace. We are open to be guided by obedience and not logic. And if you want us, day by day, to be part of what you're doing, you're going to have to show us. It's going to have to be very clear, Lord, because in my eyes, I'm really dumb in this area. I, I just, I miss it every time. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, Spirit of God, would you come upon them? Would you give them a discernment into what you're doing in their family, in their work? And just bring to their ears that ringing disruptive grace. This is a moment of disruptive grace. Pay attention to me. Be obedient to me. You're going to see me work. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to ask the ministry team if you would come forward. Because lastly, if you're here this morning and hope has waned, I'm here to tell you that God is seeking you today. That's okay. That's just the evil one trying to, you know.
He's got to get his little punch in somewhere. If hopelessness has even begun, or maybe the nest is big in your heart, I'm here to tell you that I know in a God who is a seeking God who works here in Kennesaw. He's not limited to Spain. He's not limited to a road to Emmaus. He's not limited to a desert road in Gaza. He's here this morning. His desire is for you to put that grave away. It may be that you've never accepted him as Lord and Savior. And this is the day. This is the day that he's beckoning to your heart. And it's time to come and share that. And let us pray with you. Let us bring good news to your heart, to your ears. Let it be a sweet song to you this morning. If God has uttered those words in Jeremiah 29 11, for them back then, he's the seeking God that continues to utter those words to you this morning. His plans are to bring hope for your future. Would you test him? Put him to the test this morning. Come. Ask for prayer. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Well, you're not going to get strength until you get new hope. It's the hope that brings the strength and not vice versa. And what will bring hope will be Jesus coming along through his Holy Spirit. What will bring hope will be his words, susurrado, como se dice susurrado, whispered to your heart. It will be his actions, his miracles. There's a wonderful song we sang. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave. Would you risk running out of your grave this morning? So why don't we stand? And those of you who it's time to run out of the grave, come find hope in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ. Maria and I will be here praying. Tom, you want to come up and end? Don't, don't leave without risking it. Risk it. He has good plans for you. The Lord bless you.